All right. Would you take the Word of God and turn with me in the Old Testament book of Exodus? And we're going to find our place in Exodus chapter 26. And so Exodus chapter 26, I, uh, I'm not sure how I went last time, but I, I brought the whiteboard again tonight. And, um, and, and it's really uh, the way I, I've gone through um, those uh, chapters when I look through you know, uh, pictures and often there's, you'll fee- see a, a representation of uh, the ark, uh, the table of, of shoe bread and uh, the, the tabernacle itself. And, and here as we go into chapter 26, as I'm following along the text, sometimes I'm looking at pictures and I, I'm thinking, well, that, that, that doesn't follow what the text says. And so uh, I've, uh, for many of what we read, what I've done as I'm reading is I've, I've tried to draw it out so that I can see it in my mind. And so maybe it'll help tonight um, uh, as I, I draw in, because uh, specifically tonight we're going to be looking at um, some curtains, but there's some details about the curtains. I think if we have that pictured in our, in our mind and we can see something, it will, uh, it will help us. And so... Uh, Exodus chapter 26, we're going to be reading verse 1 through 6. Now let me break down for you uh, this chapter. We uh, see that we come now to the tabernacle. If you remember, it was back at the beginning of chapter 25. The beginning mentions first all of the materials that needed to be gathered for the tabernacle. And immediately before any details about the tabernacle itself as the structure we are first introduced to the furniture within the tabernacle. And the first piece that is mentioned is the ark and the mercy seat. Uh, the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat, that's uh, one, one piece, but two things that are mentioned in Hebrews 9 separately. But it's nonetheless one piece of furniture that sits in the Holy of Holies. And we remember that um, the, the, the tabernacle was made for the ark and not the ark for the tabernacle. The ark is representative of the presence of God and the glory of God. Uh, immediately after we talked about the ark, we went to the holy place, which, and we come to, if you would go into the holy place, you'd find on your right-hand side uh, the table of shewbread. And we mentioned not only that the ark is a picture of Jesus Christ, the mercy seat is a picture of Jesus Christ, but when we come to the table of shewbread, we see that the table itself is a picture of Jesus Christ, and the bread that sits on the table is also a picture of Jesus Christ. And then if you turn on the other side, on the left-hand side as you go into the tabernacle in the holy place, uh, you would see uh, the candlestick. And we men- talked about this, and I neglected to mention something in that study. We talked about in uh, chapter 25 how uh, the candlestick uh, was... Uh, how it was ornamented, it was to give light, and that was the purpose of the candlestick. But I neglected to mention one thing. The details of the branches that come out are to be made like unto almonds. And so the design there were to be fashioned after the bloom of the almond tree. And I neglected to mention that uh, the almond tree specifically is the first tree that blooms in the spring in that part of the world. And the almond tree is a picture of the resurrection. And so the candlestick would be ornamented. Remember, the candlestick is also a picture of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is specifically declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of Holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. And so the candlestick itself is ornamented or decorated by, with the bloom of the almond tree. Each branch 
four times, you would see not only uh, the, as it was mentioned successively, uh, the bowl, the knobs, and the flowers uh, on each one of the branches. And so I neglected to mention that. But we come to chapter 26, and now we read about, finally, about the, the tabernacle itself, or we might call it the tent or the covering. From verse 1 through verse 14 in Exodus 26, we read about the curtains. Lots of curtains in this tabernacle, and we're going to talk about them. And actually, we're going to divide uh, the curtains into two studies, one for tonight, verse 1 through 6, and the second one, uh, verse 7 through 14. Uh, moving on in the chapter, we'll see from verse 15 to 30, we read about the boards. Now, the boards, that would be the structure that holds up the curtains. And then from verse 31 to verse 33, we read about the veil. And we know that the veil is what divides the holy place from the holy of holies. And then from verse 36 through, through verse 37, we read about the door. Now, it's interesting the order, again, uh, that is to be taken in consideration that uh, we might put it this way, that uh, if you think about the order, we read first about the furniture inside the tabernacle. Then we read about the curtain that, uh, uh, that the tabernacle, the, the, the curtain that is used to cover, uh, that is the tabernacle. And then you read thirdly about the structure that bears the curtains. Uh, now, according to maybe our logical development, we might mention first the framework then the curtain, and then at the end, the furniture that comes within. But that's not the way God does it. God's ways are not man's ways. And again, the point of the tabernacle, it is the tabernacle of the testimony. And what is important is not necessarily what you see with the eyes, but the message that it communicates. And so we come here to chapter 26 to specifically the curtain, but I, I want to make a distinction right off the bat so that uh, our minds are thinking rightly here in this passage that there is a distinction that is made in our text between the curtains that are inside and the curtains that overlay the outside. I want you to notice in verse 20, chapter 26, verse 1 says, Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine linen. So keep that expression in mind. Thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains. Now if you go down to verse 7, notice what he says, And thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be a, notice, covering, here it is, upon the tabernacle. So I want us to think here, verse 1 through 6 is the curtain which is the tabernacle. The curtains that we read about from verse 7 to verse 14, are those that cover the tabernacle. And they are placed in distinction. Certain curtains are the tabernacle. The other curtains cover the tabernacle. And so we're going to focus in this study in the order in which we find, and that is, first of all, the tabernacle itself. The curtains on the inside, or uh, those that would be as the ceiling. So if you would step into the tabernacle, the curtains that we're going to read about, if the priest who would uh, minister in the tabernacle daily, if they would lift up their eyes, what they would see is what we will read right now. And that is the tabernacle. Uh, the additional covering is said in verse 7 to cover the tabernacle. So therefore, it's not considered the tabernacle, but it is to cover the tabernacle. Therefore, we can separate the tabernacle itself 
from the covering of the tabernacle. And what I'm saying is that the only people who would see verse 1 through 6 were the, would be the priests. The children of Israel would not see what is inside. They would only see not the tabernacle, but the covering of the tabernacle. Now, with that in mind, let's begin reading in Exodus chapter 26, verse 1. We'll just read the first six verses. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this evening? So Exodus chapter 26 and verse 1. And the word of God says, Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen, and blue, and purple, and scarlet. With cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. The length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits, and the breadth of one curtain four cubits, and every one of the curtains shall have one measure. Uh, one measure means they're all going to be equal in length and breadth. Verse 3, the five curtains shall be coupled together. That means sewed together or joined together one to another. And other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. And thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of the one curtain from the uh, selve edge in the coupling. And likewise, thou shalt make in the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second. And what he's saying is you're going to have to make holes where the five curtains that were joined together and the other five curtains that were joined together can then those two curtains be joined together into one piece. So, ten curtains, five joined together on one side, five joined together on one side, and you make holes so that you can couple them together as one. Uh, and so he says, verse 5, Fifty loops shalt thou make in the one curtain, and fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second, that the loops may take hold one of another, and thou shalt make fifty tashes of gold. The word tashes is buttons or hooks. Uh, tashes of gold. Um, and couple the curtains together with the tashes, and it shall be, notice, one tabernacle. And so I'd like to preach this evening on this. Uh, ten curtains, one tabernacle. Ten curtains and one tabernacle. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening for your word. And as we consider once again, specifically this evening, the curtains within the tabernacle, that which the priest was to see in his ministry, as he would look up toward heaven and see the ceiling and how it was ornamented in the colors. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to see uh, again the uh, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Give us understanding by your word and stir our hearts concerning our Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What I'd like to do this evening is give us all of the, the details about what is mentioned here and then move into um, the, the significance and the meaning 
of specifically we're going to look at the colors for the curtains and um, I guess you could say there's one design, many colors, but one design, and that is the design of the cherubims is to be overlaid in design in the curtains. Uh, but let me, if we look at our text, let me uh, see here uh, how to proceed so that we kind of get gain an understanding. And I think hopefully the picture will help us. And again, I'll, I'll do my best. I'm not a good uh, artist or anything like that. But if we look in our text, notice the Bible says, Moreover thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen. And we're going to talk there about the twine linen and the blue and the purple and the scarlet and the cherubims of, of cunning work shalt thou make them. But here we know that there are ten curtains. The dimensions are given us in verse 2. The length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits and the breadth of one curtain four cubits and every one of the curtains shall have one measure. So I want you to notice here there are ten curtains but we have if you would, both the, is mentioned in verse 2, the length of the curtain is 8 and 20 cubits. That's 28 cubits, which would be about 42 feet. And then there's the breadth of one curtain, 4 cubits, which is 6 feet. So, let's take, and how many of those do we have? How many curtains do we have? 10, 10 curtains. So let's do one curtain here. And this is not, nobody measure this after, okay? This is not going to be proportional. But, uh, okay, so what is the length of it? We, in, in our text, verse 2, what's the length of it? Okay, well, in cubits, it's 28 cubits. Okay, so let's say 28 cubits. And what's um, uh, the word he uses, the breadth of it? All right, so four cubits. Now, how many of those are there? There are 10. Um, we know here as we read in the text... Uh, the, ver the Bible says, every one of the curtains shall have one measure, so they're all going to be equal in measure. The five curtains shall be coupled together one to another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. And so we might line up those curtains into two groups of five. So the first five, let's line them up this way. So you have one, two, three, four. And five. So ten curtains, we have the first division of the first five, and then we can uh, have the second group of curtains beneath that, the second group of five curtains. I appreciate your patience. All right. So now that we have those two groups of curtains, uh, notice what he mentions, and by the way, they're all at the end of verse 2. He says that every one of the curtains shall have one measure. They're going to be equal in proportion. He says in verse 3, the five curtains shall be coupled together one to another. And so this one group of five, and so we have one, two, three, four, five curtains... Verse 3 says they shall be coupled together, or that could be, you could say, they're going to be sewed together. So they're going to come together. All of those are going to come together. So all those are going to be sewn together, weaved together. And these five curtains now become one curtain, if you sew them together. The same thing is going to be done for the other five curtains. One, two, three, four, five. 
verse 3 gives us the two groups. The five curtains shall be coupled together one to another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. And verse 4 says, And thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edge of the one curtain from uh, the selvedge in the coupling, and likewise shalt thou make in the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second. So here, let's, uh, let's remember here, we went from ten curtains to now we have two. They're all joined together, and you have two curtains. Uh, curtain one and curtain two. And now he says that you're going to make couplings in each. He mentions in verse 4 the salvage in the coupling. And so this would be on the edge, there would be holes whereby you can hook the, this curtain that's become one with this curtain. Notice in verse 5 he says 50 loops, that's how many loops you're going to make, shalt thou make in the one curtain and 50 loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain, that is, in the coupling of the second. And the loops may take hold one of another. And so here you'll be, there will be a hook or a button where you have along, by the way, now that this is one curtain, this is one curtain, 50 loops will be in this one curtain, and 50 loops in this one curtain, and the loops are going to match so that you can hook curtain one and curtain two together, which makes it one curtain. Uh, we read in verse six, and thou shalt make 50 tashes of gold. The word tashes there is buttons or hooks. Now, obviously, the 50 tashes, the 50 hooks, are to match the 50 loops. And so you can uh, join those two together by the tashes, and couple the curtains together with the tashes. And so the tashes, uh, you could say, let's say uh, a, a hook or maybe a ring that brings these two curtains together. And there's going to be 50 of them. And so we know that's going to be on the edge and those two are brought together. So you have the tashes and the couple of the curtains shall uh, together with the tashes and it shall be it, the curtain. It... The one curtain shall be the tabernacle. Now, if, if don't misunderstand me here, I, I was studying and I came into the study. I said, okay, here is one element of the tabernacle. But God says, this, when it's all joined together, the ten pieces, five on one side, five on the other side, assembled together, you have two curtains. And when you have those two curtains, you're going to join them together. It makes one curtain. That one curtain is the tabernacle. That's what he says. Verse 6. It shall be one tabernacle. So with this in mind, hopefully it made it plain. Let's get into the details of the fine linen and the colors that are part of this curtain. So we have this curtain and now it's all one piece. But we come to verse 1. Let's go back to verse 1. And I want to look at specifically, again, everything has a significance. And, and certainly I, I am aware that I'm giving you all that I have time to study for. I am certain that there is more. Okay? That there are other things uh, from uh, the, 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 the numbers that are employed. There are certainly some things that... Uh, if you engage in the study, you could find as you uh, compare Scripture with Scripture. But I want to 
uh, deal with mainly the main ones that are given to us in our text. Verse 1 says, Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle, notice, with ten curtains. All of them are going to be made of what material? Fine twined linen. And then he gives us the colors that are going to ornament this fine twined linen. There's going to be the color blue, the color purple, and the color scarlet. But not only those colors are going to be present, but then this creature that is called, the angelic creature called the cherubims of cunning work, shalt thou make them. So I want to spend some time emphasizing uh, those colors and considering what those represent. Uh, the first thing we notice is, we'll begin with uh, what he mentions first, and that is um, the fine twined linen. Uh, the word here, fine, there's three words, fine, twined, and then linen. Uh, the word fine here uh, lets us know that this was not just any type of linen. But it tells us of the quality of the linen itself, that it would be the best, it would be the finest, it would be the most expensive type of linen. They could not just take any type of linen, uh, but they would have to take the most excellent, the linen that is of best quality. When we think about this fine twine linen, uh, we ask ourselves, what is the significance of this specific material? Uh, there is one reference in Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, that gives us an indication as to the significance of this material. Revelation 19, 8 says, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Here's what we know about fine linen. It is clean and it is white. And Revelation 19a then tells us the significance, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. So when we think about fine twine linen, things ought to come to our mind that this material is made of that which is white and that which is clean. And what it represents or signifies is righteousness. You see, the fine linen is defined in Scripture as clean and white. We might put it this way, pure. Uh, this fine linen, according to Revelation 19.8, is to depict the righteousness of the saints. Therefore, the fine twine linen uh, brings our mind upon both the subject of purity and righteousness. This material signifies Purity and righteousness. And as we've seen all about, the Ark of the Covenant is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the table of shoe bread is a picture of Jesus Christ. And the bread upon the table is a picture of Jesus Christ. And uh, the candlelight is a picture of Jesus Christ. And uh, the, the almond ornament is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the light is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we come now to the actual linen, the fine twine linen that is used, uh, which depicts... A purity and holiness and righteousness, uh, the curtains themselves speak of Jesus Christ. I, uh, we are brought to the attention of uh, John 1, 1, when the Bible introduces Jesus Christ and says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's John 1, 1. 
But a little later in verse 14, he takes the expression of Jesus Christ, the Word, and in John 1.14 he says, And the Word was made flesh, and then he says, And dwelt among us. And the Bible says, And we beheld His glory, Jesus Christ, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But the word that is mentioned here, that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, that word means tent. It means tabernacle. And so the Bible says here that the word who was made flesh, he uh, made his tent among us. He tabernacled among us. He came into this earth, the one who is God. He tabernacled among us. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now remember here that the curtain, this fine twine linen, uh, uh, symbolizes purity, righteousness, and holiness. It signifies to us and shows us that Jesus Christ was free from defilement. He was free from sin. And if we would look at the life of Jesus Christ for just a little while, that would become uh, clear to us. It was in the youth of Jesus Christ uh, that the Bible says He, Christ, increased in favor with God and man. It was at His baptism that Jesus was approved and He says that He was pleasing to the Father. It was at the temptation of Jesus that He proved Himself to be incorruptible. It was at his, uh, uh, in his interactions with sinners that Jesus was unsullied by sinners, but remained separate from sinners. When he touched the leopard, Jesus, the, the leopard, Jesus remained undefiled, I was, as it was typically known. If you touch a leper, you'll become a leper yourself. But when Jesus touched the leper, he didn't become leper. He made the leper clean. At, even at his crucifixion, Jesus was numbered with the transgressors, although there was no violence in him and no deceit in his mouth. We are reminded in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, about Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. And so the scripture declares that Jesus is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. He is pictured in the curtain that is made of fine twine linen depicting the purity, the holiness, and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Even 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself unto him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, 
that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Remember that there was no sin, no guile, nor threat in the mouth or the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ. The curtain made of fine twine linen is a depiction of the person of Jesus Christ and His holy character and the purity of His person. It's interesting, we'll see just a little later, a few chapters later, in Exodus chapter 28, that the priests, when they were to enter into the tabernacle, were to wear the exact same material. Later, we'll see even Aaron in Leviticus chapter 16 verse 4, he is to put on the same material. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with the linen girdle, and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. You see, the very material itself, when the priest was to put it on, before he put on this material, he would know that the material itself would signify and show us that these are holy garments depicting the holiness and the purity and the righteousness of God, but also the holiness and the purity of Jesus Christ. So the material itself, we might say this way, that in the white we see the purity of Jesus Christ. Now this would be the base, that's who Jesus is, but there are more colors that are to be included, uh, or if you would, that are to be embroidered on this white curtain. Notice there are three colors that are mentioned. There's the color blue, purple, and scarlet. Let's begin with the color blue. He mentions here, in the blue, let me mention the point that I'll, I'll show you my point. In the blue, not just in the white we see His purity, but in the blue we see the provenance of Jesus Christ. Where does this Messiah come from? You see, in Exodus, it was back in Exodus chapter 24. If you turn with me just a few chapters back, in Exodus chapter 24, notice with me in verse 9 and 10. Exodus 24, verse 9 and 10. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. So associate in the mind here, the sapphire stone depicting the body of heaven in his clearness. Now, interestingly, the sapphire stone is typically known as a blue gemstone. The blue reminds us that Jesus came down from heaven. Here, remember, back it's, it's back in Exodus 24, verse 10, when he says that the sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And so the blue speaks of heaven. That color speaks of heaven and the clearness of the blue of heaven and that is the sapphire stone. And so the blue reminds us, uh, if the white reminds us of the purity of Christ, the blue reminds us that Jesus came down from heaven. You see, Jesus Christ did not begin at birth. But rather, He who always was, was 
according to Philippians 2, was made in the likeness of men. The word made means that he existed before, but he was made something he was not before. He was made in the likeness of men, but we have to go back and say, well, where does this man come from? He does not begin at the birth, at the virgin birth. He begins in eternity past in the majesty of heaven. At the announcement even of the birth of Jesus Christ, the angels announced that this child that had been born was the Lord from heaven. In Luke 2.11, the Bible says, For unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Well, where is the Lord? He is in heaven. He inhabit, the habits the heavens of heaven. Well, where does this Savior come from? Who is He? He is the Lord from heaven. In 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the Bible speaks of Adam in contrast to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, the first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. That's Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus expressed this truth to Nicodemus when he was speaking to Nicodemus about being born again in John chapter 3. Uh, Nicodemus was a little confused. And you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He says, Art thou a master in Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness." If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Well, where is he? He's on the earth, but he's in heaven. Well, how can that be? Because he's God. He is God. You see the blue that is to be embroidered on the fine twine linen not just communicates to us the purity and the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but it communicates to us His provenance. Where does He come from? Jesus is God Himself in the flesh. We know that to be true in His name, Emmanuel, God with us. We not just see the white depicting His purity and the blue depicting His provenance, but we also see the purple. And the purple, uh, let me put it this way, in the purple we see uh, His pedigree. And what I mean by pedigree is that purple often in the Scriptures is a symbol of royalty. Uh, we would find later it was in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 37 when the soldiers were mocking Jesus Christ and they put a crown of thorns on His head and they put a robe on Him and the robe was purple. Purple was a symbol of royalty. And if we think about the pedigree of Jesus Christ, you see, when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, there are many men who claim to be Messiah before Jesus Christ came. There are many others who came after Jesus Christ claiming to, to be the Messiah. There are still people to this day who claim to be the Messiah, but they do not have the pedigree that Jesus had. Jesus in His royalty not only has an earthly pedigree, but He has a heavenly pedigree. Let's consider first His earthly pedigree. We are introduced, if you open the New Testament, in the very first verse, Matthew 1, 1 says, The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the Son of David 
the son of Abraham. You see, he is of uh, royal lineage. We read later, if you turn with me in Matthew chapter 21, if you turn there in Matthew chapter 21, as we consider uh, the, the pedigree and the fact that the fine twine linen is to be embroidered with both blue but also purple. In Matthew chapter 21, notice with me verse 1, it says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to uh, Bethage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. There it is. He, is, he was announced, and we know he is uh, uh, announced there as he comes into Jerusalem, heading into the Passover before this crucifixion, and people are going to hail him. Here is the king. You see, he has a divine pedigree. I just mentioned a moment ago, it was later it, at uh, the crucifixion in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 37. The Bible says, And they set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, notice, the King of the Jews. The King of the Jews. In John 19, verse 1, the Pilate took Jesus and he scourged him. The soldiers, they plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put on him, the Bible says, a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. You see, his royal pedigree, we might say, as being part of the lineage of David, he is indeed the King of the Jews. However, it is not just that there is an earthly pedigree, but there is also a divine pedigree, as we noted, first of all, his provenance. Romans 1 puts it this way in verse 3, Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God. The Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. You see, Jesus Christ is not just the son of David, the son of Abraham, but he is also the son of God. He is not just there because he sits rightfully on the throne of David. He also sits on the throne of God. His pedigree is unequaled. In Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible tells us very clearly who Jesus Christ is. In Hebrews 1, uh, it says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. And who is his Son? Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of 
His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power. When He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You see, His pedigree is not just one uh, that is true in the earthly sense, but also it is true in the heavenly sense. When Jesus introduced himself to John in the Revelation in chapter 1, he repeated three times to John, the first time in Revelation 1.8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. That's who Jesus is. He repeated again in Revelation 1.11, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And one more time in Revelation 1.17 when he says, Fear not, I am first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. You see, Jesus Christ not just has a true earthly pedigree as the son of David, but he also has a heavenly pedigree as the son of God. Jesus Himself is God. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He was, He is, and is to come. Jesus is the eternal God. No doubt when Paul penned the words in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What is this mystery? God, God. The Creator God, the Creator of heaven and earth, the One who holds all power in His hand, not only the One who created all things, but by Him all things consist, God was manifest in the flesh. That is the great mystery of godliness. You see in this curtain, the white depicts the purity and the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus Christ. The blue that is to be embroidered on uh, this white curtain depicts the provenance of Jesus Christ. The purple depicts the pedigree of Jesus Christ, not just that He is true to the earthly pedigree, but that He is true to the heavenly pedigree. But there is one more color that we find, and that is the scarlet. The scarlet. In the scarlet we see... His purpose. We know that scarlet is the color of blood, uh, which is emblematic of uh, the suffering of Jesus Christ. Uh, but I'd like to bring your attention, if you turn with me, to Psalm chapter 22. If you're familiar as a Bible student with Psalm 22, you would know that Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm, and it speaks of uh, the words that Jesus Christ Himself, in a prophetic sense, will speak Himself when He is on the cross. Uh, this is where we learn that the, the, the type of death that Jesus would die, His hands and His feet would be pierced before even that form of punishment was invented. And yet in Psalm 22, we read an expression in verse 6. The Bible says, notice in Psalm 22 and verse 6, But I am a worm. And no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. Now, I want you to think for just a moment 
all that we've covered thus far with the fine twine linen, purity, he is pure. With the blue, the fact that he comes from heaven. With uh, the purple, the fact that he is royalty, not just in an earthly sense, but in the heavenly sense. But the scarlet, which is, which is emblematic of the blood and of suffering, and the words of Jesus Christ himself in Psalm 22, verse 6 is, I am a worm. Interestingly enough, the word worm comes from a combination of two Hebrew words, which means this, crimson crub, crimson grub, or worm. It is a reference, the Hebrew word is a reference to the color of the worm, to the color of the grub, which is what? The Hebrew word means scarlet. That is the color of that worm that is referenced in uh, Psalm 22. Interestingly, we read Psalm 22 and he expresses here, Jesus Christ, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. And I pause and I think, well, wait a minute. Do you not know who Jesus is? He is holy and pure and righteous in his person. Jesus who came in the flesh, he is God Himself. He came from heaven. He did not begin His existence at His birth, but He has always been. And He not only is faithful to the earthly pedigree as the Son of David and heir to the throne, but He is also the Son of God. And He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. But then we come to this and we see that there's scarlet that is to be incorporated in and to be embroidered in this fine twine linen, this blood or this emblem of suffering. And Jesus Christ, therefore, it shows us or brings us to not just His person, but His purpose when He comes to earth. What is His purpose? Perhaps there's no other chapter that expresses the sentiment of the color scarlet, emblematic of blood and suffering, as Isaiah 53 tells us. The same Jesus who is pure, holy, undefiled, separate from sinners, who comes from heaven, who is God himself, the Son of God, the same Jesus in Isaiah 53.3 says, he, he, that same God that we know, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows. The Bible says He was despised and we esteemed Him not. In Isaiah 53 verse 4 it says, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken smitten of God and afflicted. Verse 5, but he, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 6 says, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8, he says, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Verse 10. Yet it, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, God, hath put him, Christ, to grief. Verse 12. He. The one who is pure, 
undefiled, separate from sinners. The one who came from heaven. The one who is God in the flesh. He was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for, the, for my transgressions. <clears throat> Perhaps all this is captured in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, God, hath made him Christ to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So if you walk into the tabernacle and we come in and you look up and you see the beautiful fine twine linen and you see the white says, wow, that's Jesus Christ in all of his purity and his holiness and, and his righteousness. And then you see the blue and you recognize that Jesus Christ came down from heaven, that he is the eternal son of God. And then when you look at the purple, you realize that he, he is royalty and he would be faithful to not just royalty on earth, but also to royalty in heaven and that he is the, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But then you come, you come to the scarlet and you say, well, what is, what is this color for? Well, that same God that we know everything about bled and suffered and died for us. That's who Jesus is. We not only see his person, but we see his purpose. But there's one more thing that we find in embroidered in this fine twine linen curtain. Uh, the Bible mentions, if we go back to Exodus chapter 26, Notice Exodus 26, verse 1, at the end of the verse, Accompanied with all of those colors on the curtain, you will not only embroider the color blue and purple and scarlet, but with those colors, and perhaps the cherubim would be composed of those colors, I'm not for certain, but with cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. The reason why I say that they would be embroidered, the shape of the cherubim would be embroidered in those colors because no other colors are mentioned. And I do not think at this point that they have the liberty to insert whatever color they want into God's tabernacle. And so with those colors, you're going to embroider the cherubim. So displayed on this fine twine linen, if you were to enter into this holy place, this tabernacle, you would see the colors of, of white and blue and purple and scarlet, but you would also see embroidered were the cherubims. And if you were a priest serving in the tabernacle day after day after day, and if you were to look upwards on the curtain ceiling, you would see the angelic picture of the cherubims. As it is patterned in the scriptures, the Bible says that their wings would likely be outstretched across the ceiling. At least in Scripture, that's how we find them. Uh, when it is on the mercy seat, we've already read on the mercy that the cherubim with, uh, that with twain, they covered the mercy seat with their wings. And no doubt as you're entering into the tabernacle, as you're looking up to the heavens, and you see the wings that are covering over the tabernacle in those colors. 
Why do I say this? Because of Psalm 61 verse 4 which says this, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the cover of thy wings. Meaning that when you enter into the tabernacle, you stand under the cover of his wings. So we read all of these things. So what is all this about? Let me remind you of a few things. The first one is we're going to see the other curtains and there's a lot of them. They're going to cover this curtain. Now this, this, notice verse 6, And thou shalt make fifty tashes of gold, and couple the curtains together with the tashes, and it shall be one tabernacle. That's the tabernacle. The other curtains that come later in verse 7, And thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair, verse 7, to be a covering, here it is, upon the tabernacle. So the covering that overlays the tabernacle is not the tabernacle, it is um, upon the tabernacle. And I say this to, to, to say this, is that uh, who, who were the only people who could gain access to the tabernacle? The priest. The Levitical priesthood. No other man from any other tribe could enter into the holy place. The only people who were be witnesses of the fine twine linen and the blue and the purple and the scarlet and the cherubim embroidered on the ceiling of the tabernacle would be the priests. Everybody is outside of that. Everybody can't see that. What they're going to see though from the outside, from their eye, they're going to see the covering of the tabernacle. They're not going to see the tabernacle. Again, what is important about the whole tabernacle is not what you see on the outside, but it is what is on the inside. The Bible says concerning Jesus Christ that there is no glory, beauty that we should behold Him. But you remember as believers, we have been made kings and priests unto God. You know what that means? We know when Jesus Christ died, the curtain, the veil was rent in twain from top to bottom, and we uh, can enter into the Holy of Holies. Uh, but, but in the broadest sense, connected to the tabernacle, remember, nobody could go into the tabernacle except for the priests. But we who are believers, nobody would know all that the testimony is about the tabernacle, but we who are in Christ have been brought into the tabernacle, and we know those things concerning Jesus Christ. We have been brought in. And we come into this tabernacle, the place where we are invited to come into the presence of God, and we know God. Uh, this is life eternal. This is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. And we can behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so we are brought into this tabernacle. And we can see all those things about Jesus Christ. So let me make just one point of application and we're done. We might say that, uh, by the way, at the end of Exodus, it ends with the glory of God. The glory of God fills the tabernacle. Uh, all the priests had to move out. Couldn't do the ministry in there because the glory of God filled the tabernacle. Uh, this would be the place where there have to be observances. There are to do things in a certain way. But the priest, the priest... 
when he comes into the tabernacle in his worship he is not he is not to be occupied with himself but rather he is to be occupied with the father and with the son he is to look up above him as he comes into the tabernacle he is to do the ministry at the table of shewbread he is to consistently keep the light of the candlestick on all of those ministry are there and so the focus brings us all back to God and his son that's the message of the tabernacle when we come to church what are we occupied with are we occupied with ourselves or, or are we occupied with the Lord you see let's remember those things those distinct things in the very curtains so we see we see by the way that the ark of the covenant that pictures Jesus Christ the mercy seat pictures Jesus Christ the table of shoe bread pictures Jesus Christ and the bread pictures Jesus Christ and if you turn on the other side you'd see that the candlestick pictures Jesus Christ and uh, the the almond bloom pictures the resurrection of Jesus Christ and if you look up you see the white fine twine linen and the blue and the purple and the scarlet and the design of the cherubim and it pictures for us again Jesus Christ everywhere you would go into the tabernacle you would not be occupied with yourself you would be occupied with the Lord and what he is trying to communicate and how he's trying to speak through all that you see we don't have a tabernacle today but by the way we have something better we don't have an earthly tabernacle we have Jesus Christ and what we have is not something physical that we see in the embroidery and the design but we have the person of Christ indwelling in us you see let's be occupied primarily with the Lord and not ourselves we have something far better than they had then and so let's rejoice in the person in the person of Jesus Christ.